The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free, no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and what an incredible time for soccer in this country at all levels. High school soccer complete for the fall season. Jim Wanling, the head coach of the St. Benedict's Prep Boys team. David Wolf, the head coach of the Houston High School girls team in Germantown, Tennessee. They are the USA Today United Soccer Coaches' number one teams in the country, and we talked to them both to start the show. Then Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches, sets the table for Division I men's and women's soccer. Paul Ratcliffe has the Stanford Cardinal back in the College Cup this weekend in Orlando. He's on the 2017 Mac Herman Trophy semifinalist. 15 men, 15 women have been announced. Andy Sullivan for the Stanford Cardinal back on that list. She also joins me. And how about Major League Soccer? Their playoffs are yesterday and today to get a spot in the MLS Cup. Scott French, longtime soccer journalist, currently with 442, will join me to wrap up the show. That's a big show. Let's get it started after this message from Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky, and the United Soccer Coaches and USA Today High School Sports released the final regional and national polls in the USA Today United Soccer Coaches Super 25 Fall Rankings for Boys and Girls High School Soccer. New Jersey State Champion St. Benedict's Prep from Newark, New Jersey took the number one ranking in the boys' rankings with a record of 19-0-0 under head coach Jim Wandling. And on the girls' side, Tennessee State Champion Houston High School in Germantown, Tennessee, they claimed the top spot with a record of 25-0 under head coach David Wolf. And we're going to talk to both of them. That's right, both of them right now. We'll start with Jim Wandling, the top man at St. Benedict's Prep in Newark, New Jersey. Jim, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dean. It's a it's a pleasure. Well, nineteen and zero, you'll take that anytime, any day, right? Pretty good season, Coach. Yeah, I sure would. Anytime, you know, you can throw together a perfect season, especially at the youth level. It's a pretty neat experience. So uh, we're very pleased with the way the season uh, turned out for us. Let's get right to it because St. Benedict's Prep has meant so much to you because you played there, and amazingly, you played there at the time where Claudio Reno was there, and I give a lot of speeches, and I always put him in the top three of the players that I was around during my time with U.S. Soccer as the greatest ever, if not number one, and Greg Berhalter. So you were right around that same age, and uh, you came back. Now your eighth season replacing Rick Jacobs. So clearly, I mean, St. Benedict's Prep, I mean, one of these storied schools for soccer in this country, right? Certainly. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of a lot of the who's who that has made up U.S. soccer and, and continue to uh, make a make an impact, you know, throughout the country and the MLS. You know, a lot of those guys started at St. Benedict. So I think it's a very storied program and one that I'm very proud to, uh, you know, have called home. All right. Before we get more into this 
team right here, though. Talk about what it was like playing with Claudio Reyna, especially, right? I mean, one of the all-time greats to wear the red, white, and blue. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, for my money, you know, Claudio uh, still to this day is, you know, is at the top of the list when it comes to the, the best players that, you know, this country have, uh, has produced. It was an honor for me to play uh, with him, you know, and call him a teammate at one point uh, during his career. And uh, it's certainly one of the, you know, more fond memories I have uh, of playing, you know, uh, growing up alongside Claudio. From St. Benedict's, tell us what happened to you. You went to Rutgers, I think, one year with Bob Riasso, right? Got injured, and then what happened? Talk about first going to Rutgers and then moving on. Yeah, I mean, coming from a, a big program like St. Benedict's, I was attracted to uh, uh, to the other pro, uh, other big programs, you know, in the area, and Rutgers at the time was one of the top ten programs in the country, and and uh, I had chosen to uh, to take uh, myself down to down to Rutgers. But uh, having uh, spent a year there, uh, Rutgers was a, was a pretty big school, uh, and in the end, you know, I decided that a smaller school was a better fit for me. I transferred to St. Peter's College to play for Jerry McEwen, who I had known a lot about and respected very highly as a coach. And now he's a volunteer assistant coach at Rutgers, uh, full circle. But uh, when you were done with your college time, then what happened to you, Coach? Sure. Once I finished up uh, at St. Peter's, I decided I wanted to get back involved with the game. Uh, I reached back out to St. Benedict's, you know, a place that uh, was very special to me, um, but also, you know, one of the top programs in the country. And uh, I got back involved with uh, with the program under Rick as a freshman coach. And uh, I spent two years with the freshman team before joining uh, the varsity staff, uh, and I think I officially joined the varsity staff in 2002, then, uh, you know, took over as head coach in 2010. And obviously some incredible seasons, and this one here where you finished number one in the country. So I imagine it's most important to win that New Jersey state title, but then when you can look back and say, hey, we've got the best team in the entire country, that's pretty darn cool. Well, sure. I mean, you know, we've, we, we were on a very successful streak of state championships uh, where we had won 28 state titles in a row here in New Jersey uh, before dropping the trophy last year. Um, so this year, we were a little bit uh, more motivated than we've been in the past to make sure that we had secured the, the state prep trophy and brought that back to Benedict's after having lost it for the first time in 29 years. Um, so that was our ultimate goal. Uh, but along the way, you know, things started to take on a life of their own, and we realized uh, although that we put together, you know, what was a, a very challenging national schedule, uh, that we felt we had, we had what we needed uh, to be able to to get through the schedule uh, without any losses, and so that became our focus uh, at some point midway through the season. And uh, fortunate enough for us, you know, we were able to see uh, see our objectives out to the end. Well, talk about uh, how you brought this team together with that incredible streak of 28 straight snapped. What was the message going into the season? Well, interesting enough, uh, at the end of 2015, uh, we had lost about uh, 18 seniors due to graduation. Uh, so last year in 2016, you know, we were rebuilding. And, uh, we, you know, unfortunately, we threw together what was arguably, you know, the worst season in 30 years uh, at St. Benedict's. Uh, so going into this year, uh, the players, you know, by and large, were the same players that we had last year. Uh, but this year, we just... Uh, we took, uh, you know, a real stance uh, on our team chemistry, right? The relationships in the locker room and how they can uh, transform a team on the field. Um, so a lot of team-building exercises and a lot, to, uh, a lot of work getting them to trust one another, uh, both on and off the field. And when you can get young men to kind of look after each other 
and pull in the same direction. Big things are big things are possible, and uh, you know we were able to experience that you know this year. Coach, obviously the landscape of high school has changed dramatically, right, with the development of these soccer academies. But looking at your team and and knowing uh, how great these players are, are there some names and key players on your team that we'll see at uh, in college or at the next level? Oh, for sure. The majority of uh, of our nucleus is actually um, uh, they're in our junior class at the moment. So we expect um, you know to be to be a strong team next year in in 2018, but. You know, some of the players that you certainly will hear from, um, you know, either at the college level or beyond would be first uh, a senior this year who has committed uh, to UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, he's a boy from Venezuela who's played with the U-17 uh, national team there. Uh, his name is Sebastian Chabald. And, uh, you know, for my money, he's maybe the most complete player that, uh, that I saw this season. Uh, so I expect... I expect him to make a big name for himself at UNC. Uh, we also have another boy that uh, actually at the moment is uh, is in Europe uh, on trial with a couple of teams, uh, both in Holland and in Germany. And uh, this is a Brazilian international boy by the name of Celio Pompeu. And uh, he's a very, very uh, talented uh, attacking player. And... Uh, Again, you know, I think he was one of the more attractive uh, attacking attacking players in the country this year, and uh, he'll, he'll make a big name for himself as he moves forward. Um, but uh, you know, we hope uh, we hope he first starts by you know leading us um, through his senior campaign. Okay, coach. The convention this year is in Philadelphia. One of the great things that uh, the United Soccer coaches have done and years past has really put a heavy focus on high school soccer and I feel like they're the one entity that continues to do that what has that organization meant to you and your role at St. Benedict's and then you've got another role as well in youth coaching yeah I mean the NSCAA has just been a you know a great source of information a great source of education you know whether um, you know whether I visited the website to be able to pick up um, some ideas, or whether it's been attending, you know, one of the the conventions where I've had an opportunity to hear, you know, an- another coach speak. And uh, I think anytime, you know, uh, you can pull coaches together and share ideas, uh, that's a positive thing. And and nobody does that better than you know than the NSCAA or uh, uh, now the United Soccer Coaches. Well said. How about Jim Wanley, nineteen and zero, St. Benedict's Prep, one of the legendary high schools. You're. United Soccer Coaches USA Today, Super 25, number one team in the country. Congratulations, Coach. Thanks for being with us on the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Look look forward to seeing you down in Philly. Yep, I will definitely see you in Philly. And coming up, we'll talk to David Wolf, who led Houston High School in Germantown, Tennessee, to a 25-0-0 record on the girls' side. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com. Once again, here's Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As promised, we're starting with high school soccer, the best of the best. Great spending time with Jim Wandling, the top man for the St. Benedict's Prep men team, 19-0, number one in the USA Today, United Soccer Coaches Super 25, and number one 
for the women, Houston High School, Germantown, Tennessee. Your Tennessee State champs and number one in the country. Their head coach is David Wolf. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, USA Today, United Soccer Coaches, number one in the country. That's a lot bigger than just a little old Memphis, Tennessee, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you got to start. You got to start local, and then you got to go statewide, and then you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a position to win a national championship, then that's a great feat. Well, well done, you, for sure. And, um, you know, talk about what it means to you and uh, your team. It's like anything, and you, you, as a coach, basically steal ideas from other coaches. I don't think anybody in here has really created anything new. They just, if you steal from the right people, then, then you're going to be successful. And so one of the things that most every quality program has ever done is that they worry about the process. And, and when we were going through it, I don't think that we really concentrated on that we concentrated on what was happening the next day and what was happening with the next game. And then when we were done, it was like, oh, we've just completed this. And and as I said to somebody prior, it was almost like it was relief that the season was over <laughs> and that we had accomplished it. 25-0-0. And, and uh, talk about some key players on your team, particularly some players that we might see playing D1 soccer next year. Oh, uh, we, we have a really young team, actually. Um, Next year, we've got one person going, and that's Adrienne Darnell. She's going to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. But other than that, the majority of our team is young. It's, it's juniors, sophomores, and we've got probably the best freshman class that I've ever coached that we're able to contribute quickly. So that means you're going to stay number one as far as the USA Today <laughs> United Soccer Coaches poll, right, Coach? <laughs> I, I, I hope we start off next year as number one, and then it's our responsibility to keep winning. Does this team, this young team, are they ready for the pressure? Sounds like they are. Oh, I think they are. I think that I think that every single person that comes into this program, I, I often say that we have the toughest team um, at the school. We might have the toughest team, maybe except for East High School basketball and Whitehaven football in the Shelby County community. And one of the things that we do is we don't, think of this group of athletes as being female. We look at these group of athletes as being athletes, as being D1 ready individuals who can play. So we don't put a gender on it and we treat them just like we would treat any other athlete. That's basically why I think we are successful, that they have bought into it and that we can continue to do it every year. Tennessee State Champs, Houston High School, Germantown, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, I understand. Talk about what makes Houston High School and Germantown, Tennessee so special. As a community, we've got a long history of quality soccer. I would go back even to the to the middle 70s. What we pride ourselves on is being the best small-town soccer community there is, being able to compete with the Atlantas and the Dallases and the St. Louises, even though we don't have as, as large a population to draw from. Tell us how you ended up coaching high school girls soccer and how you ended up by way of Los Angeles through Texas in Memphis. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom and dad basically had a fight when it came to was I going to play football and, and baseball or from my mom who was from Canada and her dad was from England that she won out like most like most marriages do. She had uh, me playing soccer at a really early age in the 60s and the 70s. I moved in high school to Texas and Texas had just started really pushing soccer. So I was able to continue my uh, career there. I guess I had graduated from college, and I surely didn't know what I wanted to do. 
and I had seen the movie Dead Poet Society, and it really changed my life. And so I decided I wanted to go into education. And I was sitting in a faculty meeting, and a principal asked, hey, we're starting a middle school soccer team. Is there anybody here who knows anything about soccer? And I had my head down, and I looked around, and I sort of put my hand up, and that's how it started. And I went from there, and I coached at Ridgeway High School, and we were successful there. And then I came to Houston, and, and we've continued the trend. How old were you when you moved to Tennessee? 27 years old. Okay. And you walked right into that job when you moved there? Uh, yeah, middle school job. Within two years, I was the varsity coach at Ridgeway. I think it was about seven or eight years there. And then I, I came to Houston in 2004. And what's your take right now on high school soccer, particularly with uh, you know all the talk with the Development Academy and how that affects high school soccer? What's your take, Coach? Oh, it's. Uh, I think that the high school game is more like the college game than anything that you're going to find. Um, we don't have nine months to get people prepared. In college, it's very similar. You, you only have a set amount of days that you can practice. Your season is, is condensed from early August to the end of November, so the seasons are ba- basically the same. Um, you, have to, you have to prepare for the game. It's not that you prepare for you, – you don't prepare your skills daily – it is necessary to have club for us to be successful. But I think that high school is important because it creates the, the, the understanding of game tactics and also being prepared for the next opponent. Finally, Coach, obviously the United Soccer Coaches, formerly the NSCAA, has done such an amazing job giving a lot of attention to high school soccer. It's got to make you pretty proud to be affiliated with that organization as well. Oh, yeah, I I've been uh, affiliated with this organization for over 20 years. It's the backbone of the United States soccer. You go to the convention, and and this year it's in Philadelphia, and I love going every year. I'm able to meet, and, and, and like I had said earlier, basically you're picking ideas from other great coaches. The one thing that in this sport that you have to know is that if you think that you're good enough now, know that somebody's working hard to pass you, and you have to continue to work. Uh, but the, the organization is phenomenal. I'm not sure anybody's going to pass Houston High School, though. They only lost <laughs> one player as part of a 25-0-0 team. They're the number one team in the country in the USA Today. United Soccer Coaches Super 25. And they can't take that away from you, Coach. Looks like you're going to go for it again. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much, and you have a good day. I can do that. Well done. Great to spend time with the top high school coaches in the country for girls and boys. We switched to college soccer. The women are down to the College Cup, the Final Four. The men are down to the Elite Eight. Rob Kehoe, the Director of College Programs for the United Soccer Coaches, will break it down when we come back. And then Paul Ratcliffe, the head coach of Stanford, and Andy Sullivan who could win the Mac Herman Trophy as the semifinalists were announced this week by the United Soccer Coaches. Andy Sullivan, star for Stanford, will also join me. How about that? College soccer around the corner right here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. You've heard it all. High school soccer, dabbling in professional soccer, and you know we're going to cover college soccer. No champions to crown this weekend. Next week, seven champions. We'll try to track down all of them. And one champion for college soccer, indeed, has been Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches. And Rob is back and better than ever, ready to rock and roll. You ready, Rob? Absolutely, Dean. Good to be with you. Great to be with you. We're down to eight on the men. Break it down. Well, we had some exciting games this weekend, and actually four of the games ended up dose zero. The two zero scores that we've been quite familiar with in the United States with Wake Forest beating Butler 2-0, Stanford beating Coastal Carolina 2-0, UNC over SMU, the same score, and Louisville over Colgate. Wake Forest in that game against Butler, it was pretty much one-way traffic. They outshot Butler 19-6, 10 corners to 3. In the Stanford game, it was pretty much an even-steven game against Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina actually outshot Stanford 17-15. to Shots on goal, Stanford had eight, Coastal had five corners, they had three each, and Stanford finally broke through in the 50th and 90th minute to win that game 2-0. UNC, they outshot SMU 9-6, and again, not many shots in the game, and 7-1 in corners. SMU put on a tough performance, made it challenging for UNC to score. And then Louisville, they were probably on cruise control somewhat against Colgate in their 2-0 win, where they had two first-half goals, and then the dream ended for Colgate, which is interesting. Colgate on October 25th was 5-10-1, and they finished at 12-11-1, so they reeled off seven wins to have that magical run through the Patriot League tournament and then the NCAA, and that dream ended at Colgate. And then we had probably many would consider the surprise of the week, the 2-2 draw Fordham-Duke, and then Fordham prevailed on penalty kicks 8-7. to Duke was up 1-0. Fordham came back, tied it up 1-1 in the 51st. Duke goes up 2-1 in the 63rd. And I'm sure they're highly disappointed that they gave Fordham a goal at the 87th minute to put it into overtime and then PKs. And Fordham goes on 8-7 in penalty kicks. Then Akron and Wisconsin. Akron has just been on a tear recently. They're 18-3 and 1 now after a rough start and they prevail in overtime 3 to 2 and they had the best of the action through most of the game getting a goal early. Wisconsin in their gritty fashion came back and tied it before halftime. Akron goes up 2-1. Wisconsin comes back, and toward the end of the game, Wisconsin had the pressure on and had Akron actually reeling. Ben Lunt, the goalkeeper for Akron, made some terrific saves, or Wisconsin could have stole that victory. But the Zips got their 3-2 to win in overtime. And then Michigan State against Western Michigan, second duel of the year for them, and Michigan State wins that game 2-1. to And they're going to go on to play IU, who beat New Hampshire. And that set up a Michigan State-Indiana quarterfinal game this weekend. So our quarterfinals in the men are going to be Wake Forest against Stanford, which will be a rematch from last year's national championship game. UNC will play Fordham. Akron will play Louisville at Louisville. And then the Spartans will travel to Bloomington to play Indiana. So we have the guarantee of at least one Big Ten team in the Final Four and the possibility of three ACC teams in Philadelphia. 
So we'll see how that all shakes out for the men this weekend. And with the women, we're down to the final four in Orlando. And this is very exciting, Dean, because as we talked about on last week's podcast, we're going to have four teams that were not in the College Cup last year appearing this year. And we have two from the Pac-12, Stanford and UCLA, Duke from the ACC, and South Carolina, the first time ever in the College Cup. In three of the games, it was pretty much one-way traffic. Stanford beats Penn State 4-0. UCLA played Princeton, outshot them 24-10. They win 3-1. Duke then beats Baylor 4-0, 1-0 at half. And then Duke scored two goals in the first three minutes of the second half to put that game out of reach for Baylor. And then South Carolina was the one challenging game against Florida. Second time they've played this year. South Carolina won the first game in the SEC regular season. South Carolina had two shots on goal in the whole game. And this might be the story of efficiency they scored on both of them. They scored early in the 13th minute and then held on. And so we look at this final four. We have Duke, Stanford, and UCLA together have combined for 22 College Cup appearances. Only two national championships out of those College Cup appearances, the 22 of them, Stanford winning in 2011 and UCLA in 2013. And as I mentioned, South Carolina appears in the College Cup for the first time. So our semifinal matchups Friday starting at 5 p.m. Eastern, will be South Carolina against Stanford and then Duke versus UCLA in the nightcap. So we'll have a lot of red or cardinal in the first game and a lot of blue in the second game. So that should be a very exciting weekend of explosive soccer in Orlando, Florida. Great job by Rob Kehoe. Spent a lot of time talking about the Stanford Cardinal. We'll spend a lot of time talking to Stanford Cardinal when we come back. Paul Ratcliffe, the head coach, Andy Sullivan, their star midfielder. Rolling on. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Rob Kehoe for setting the table for both men's and women's. The tournament, the women down to the Final Four. They're headed to Orlando, and he talked a lot about the incredible machine that is the Stanford Cardinal. Four-nothing winners. That's right, four-nothing winners over a very good Penn State Nittany Lions. And now Paul Ratcliffe in 14 seasons as the top man in Stanford. They've already won one national championship. They've reached three NCAA finals, won six Pac-12 titles, and they're looking for more. They play South Carolina on Friday, and Paul joins me now. Paul, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Paul, you're in Orlando now. You're with the team. You've made the trek. It's always exciting, right, to be a part of a college cup? Absolutely. I think it's a highlight of the players' careers to to get to the college cup. So the team's pumped up, and uh, we just had a training this morning, so we're ready to roll. All right, and uh, obviously you knew you had a talented team, but, uh, boy, the way you've run through this tournament, including that win over Penn State, just talk about what has made this team so special this year. And then, if you can, Paul, talk about that win over Penn State. Pretty darn impressive. Yeah, I think I attribute a lot of our success to having a well-balanced team. Um, We have a lot of different weapons. We have goals coming from the midfield, from our forwards, and even our defenders are stepping up and scoring critical goals. So I think it's a well-balanced attack, but ultimately, you know, it's been a joy to coach this team. They're a great group. They're determined, 
and uh, we're hoping we can do well you know, this Friday in advance. Does it mean anything to have to travel across the country that far, or do you feel like because you've left so early you can make those adjustments? Yeah, we tried to leave a day earlier just to make those adjustments to get everyone on the uh, you know, different time change and things like that and to settle everyone in a little bit. But uh, obviously it's always difficult traveling across the country, but we have to adjust and, uh, and be prepared. One game at a time. It's South Carolina from the SEC. Shelly Smith has done a great job for South Carolina. What do you know about that team as you prepare for the Gamecocks? Yeah, I'm learning more about them um, right now. But uh, obviously they've had a phenomenal season. And to get to this stage in the NCAA tournament, um, they're battle-tested and they're going to be a really competitive team to play. So uh, we're looking forward to the test. And uh, you know it should be a great match. Paul, as you also know, the 2017 Women's Mac Herman Trophy semifinalists have been announced, 15 outstanding young women, and lo and behold, Stanford has three women on that list. Tierna Davidson, the defender, sophomore from Menlo Park, California. Katarina Macario, the freshman from San Diego, California, is on that list. And, of course, Andy Sullivan, the veteran midfielder who overcame the ACL injury as well, is back on the list again. She was there last year in St. Louis. you got to be pretty proud. Yeah, I mean, I just looked at the list. It's an incredible list of players. A lot of them will be um, showcasing their talents here at the College Cup. So it should be a you know a fantastic weekend. But uh, you know, if you can make that list, it's pretty extraordinary. So uh, and for us to have three. I'm really proud of that. Now, one of the things that uh, you talked about last year is the ability to play at the next level. The NWSL is headed into their fifth year. Obviously, there's plenty of Stanford Cardinal to go around in that league. How important is that league as you continue to do what you do in college soccer? Well, I think it's absolutely critical. Um, you know, we want the women's game to continue to grow. And, uh, you know, these players work so hard their entire life to, you know, hone their skills. And they want to be able to play at the next level. They want another opportunity after, and they're not done playing. So I think it's you know fantastic if we can have that avenue for them to continue growing, continue playing. And uh, you know honestly, I think they're amazing to watch. So I, I think the league's going to continue to to flourish and uh, blossom in the next few years here. All right, we're going to talk to Andy Sullivan uh, after we're done with you. But, uh, you know, thinking about the fact that you do have those three players on the list, uh, talk about some of the other players on your team. You've got your freshman forward, Katarina McCarroll, with 47 points. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Katarina is a, truly a special player. She's just a freshman, but um, she has absolutely lit it up this year. She's uh, scoring goals, creating goals. She's fantastic to watch play. Um, so, you know, I urge all the fans to go out and check her out because she's truly an amazing player. And what she's doing this year has blown me away. Um, but she's, she's a super gifted player. And, and like I said, she scores some amazing free kicks. Um, you know, shots from distance, shots from in close, she can do it all. And then talk about, uh, you know, defensively, then looking at goalkeeping where you've kind of split the time. Talk about that process this year. Yeah, we're very fortunate to have two incredible goalkeepers. Um, you know, AJ and Lauren Rude, they're both great goalkeepers. So we were splitting time with them. And then now in the playoffs, AJ um, has stepped up. Allison Johansu, she's stepped up and playing a lot of the minutes. But they're both great goalkeepers, so we trust either one to step up when we need them. So it's been a, a great luxury to have. Well, you're not the only team that's come all the way across the country. The Pac-12 represented double time, right, with you and your alma mater, UCLA. That's got to make you pretty proud of your Absolutely. league. Yeah, no, it's great for the Pac-12 conference. Um, UCLA has an amazing team. 
Um, so, you know, I'm hoping they do well like we do. But, uh, yeah, it's great for the conference, and uh, you know, it should be exciting College Cup. Okay, finally, uh, before we speak with Andy Sullivan, uh, she is on that Mac Herman Trophy list yet again. She was there last year, so close to win it a year ago. Describe the best way you can, Paul, what makes her such a special soccer player. Well, Andy, I think the intangible for me with Andy is her leadership ability. She is such a strong leader. Um, as Andy goes, our team goes, and uh, she's been phenomenal for us all four years, and it's her last year, obviously, so I'm hoping she can leave a legacy at Stanford and show her leadership ability and help propel us to the College Cup. But, uh, you know, she's great technically, great athlete, but the thing that really separates her are those leadership abilities and her competitive drive. So it's, it's been a joy coaching her, and I'm hoping she can leave that legacy for us. Stanford men, Stanford women, they both are always right there. Paul Ratcliffe doing an amazing job as the top man for the Stanford women's soccer team. Paul, always a pleasure spending time with you. Good luck at the College Cup on Friday night and hopefully into the final game. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. Paul Ratcliffe setting the table for his star midfielder, Andy Sullivan. She joins me after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit Quick Goal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Great visit with Paul Ratcliffe, the head coach of the Stanford Cardinal women's soccer team. They're in the College Cup down in Orlando. They have three players on the 2017 Women's Mac Herman Trophy semifinalist list. As you may know, United Soccer Coaches announced on Tuesday the 15 men's and women's semifinalists in consideration for the 2017 Mac Herman Trophy based on voting by NCAA Division I soccer coaches. The Mac Herman Trophy, the most coveted individual honor in NCAA Division I soccer, has been awarded annually since 1967. Most recently, Ian Harks from Wake Forest and Kadisha Buchanan from West Virginia received the award for outstanding intercollegiate performances during their senior season in two. 2016. Three men's finalists and three women's finalists will be named on December 8th in conjunction with the Men's College Cup semifinals in Philadelphia. And then the 2017 Mac Herman Trophy Banquet will be held at the historic Missouri Athletic Club in St. Louis on January 5th, 2018 to formally announce this year's winners. Taking a look quickly at the list for the men in alphabetical order, John Beccaro from Wake Forest, Tucker Bone from Air Force, Arthur Basua from Columbia, Brandon Bai from Western Michigan, Moro Chichero from SMU, John Gallagher from Notre Dame, Thomas Hillard Arce from Stanford, Tim Cubell from Louisville, Foster Langsdorf from Stanford, Grant Lillard, the great defender from Indiana, Cameron Lindley from North Carolina, Zhao Motinho, the defender from Akron, also Wyatt Omsberg, the defender from Dartmouth, FIU's Santiago Patino, and North Carolina's Allen Wynn. That's the men list on the women's list. Michaela Abam from West Virginia, Rachel Corbowles from Georgetown, Imani Dorsey from Duke, Grace Fist from South Carolina, Jesse Fleming from UCLA, Indigo Gibson from California, Vanessa Gregor from Princeton, Hallie Mace from UCLA, Savannah McCaskill from South Carolina, Casey Murphy, the fine keeper from Rutgers, Rebecca Quinn from Duke, Brianna Vasali from Pepperdine, and Stanford with three players, Tierna Davidson, the sophomore defender for Stanford, the freshman sensation. 
Station at Forward, Katerina Macario, and of course, Andy Sullivan, who is kind enough to join me now. Andy, thanks so much for being with us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, the star midfielder from Stanford. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's talk about uh, this run, including that win over Penn State. You know, Penn State loaded with uh, USA internationals, as you know, and even the German international. You beat them four to nothing. What went right in that game against the Nittany Lions, Andy? That was an awesome game for us. I just feel like it was one of our days. Um, Penn State is an amazing team, and they are stacked um, with great players. So I think we were really fired up and excited for the challenge. And I think to get the early goal from Kat, an amazing free kick, really ramped us up. And then to kind of, you know, finish with another one a few minutes later, um, it just like we our energy just kept building and building. So, you know, we play games that have been the opposite where we have, you know, a ton of shots and nothing, you know, going on frame and we squeak by 1-0 and I think that you know, it was just our day, and we really fed off that energy. Paul Ratcliffe talked about uh, how awesome it would be for someone like you who's had an amazing career and now playing for the USA to go out on top. Did you think about that coming into this final season? Um, I mean, every season I obviously wanted to be here, you know, at the final four and, you know, hopefully, the, you know, the last team standing at the end. But it's been a unique season for me after, you know, coming back from the ACL tear. I tried not to think too far ahead. I just tried to focus on, you know, every moment and every game, one thing at a time and um, not to get too ahead of myself. So it's crazy that, you know, this moment's already here. But, you know, obviously it's been a dream since coming to Stanford to um, be a national championship. So it, that's always kind of in the back of my mind and shaping a lot of my goals. Talk again about that process as well with the ACL tier and remind, uh, you know, the process when it happened and how long it took you sure. to come back. Yeah, so um, I tore my ACL um, in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year in double overtime against Santa Clara in the second round. Um, and then they ended up winning just a few minutes after that, uh, scoring a goal and, you know, a golden goal. And you know, so that was like a pretty heartbreaker of an evening because obviously we had a great team and envisioned ourselves going all the way to, you know, the College Cup. And, um, it, you know, it you know it's almost the opposite, you know. So that was a real shocker. And then, for me, I got surgery about, you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, and it was the longest injury I've ever, you know, gone through um, and completely foreign to me just not even be able to do, you know, basic tasks such as, like, walking or, like, going up or down stairs and, um, you know, legs completely shrinking. So um, it's really it's, uh, very frequently if I'm ever, like, getting frustrated or stressed or something like that, I it's been a great reflecting point for me to remember, okay, a year ago you weren't even walking by yourself and, Mm. you know, now you get to play and play a lot and play with an amazing team. So, um, a huge blessing. And I just, you know, had tremendous, a tremendous surgeon and tremendous PT and, um, you know, strength coach and support staff, athletic trainers, everybody, um, and teammates, obviously in my family. So it's just been, um, a very, very interesting year for me personally to go from, that and then now um, at the College Cup. Incredible, yeah. So obviously you missed the spring, but uh, first practice, were you available or how, how close uh, were you yeah. first? Yeah, tell me. Um, so we reported like the first week of August and I was about eight months um, out and they um, cleared me to play like a few days after preseason um, started. So I, you know, was playing but very limited um, and they just did a really good job of managing my minutes. So um, at the beginning of the season, I really wasn't completing a full training session ever. Um, 
and then gradually just started to increase and increase and um but when you come back like I, I felt like my knee was my, my knee was super strong but like your body just isn't able to handle what you're used to handling <laughs> when you come back from those injuries so um again had tremendous um effort from the staff to make sure that I was staying healthy not only in my knee but like other parts of my body as well and how's your knee been all year pretty good knock on wood it's, yeah knock on wood no it's been it's been good um it's definitely you know it's definitely different it's not I wouldn't say oh I don't notice it or it's the same um but kind of towards once we kind of hit conference I felt like I was really able to like lose myself in the game and that was um really huge for me because it can be scary or you can be you know paranoid about it but um once I kind of able was able to lose my you know, lose my mind sounds bad but you know not overthink it um in games I felt a lot better about my recovery all right, brilliant. Okay, as we said, uh, the Mac Herman Trophy list was announced again. You've been so close. Uh, what would it mean to win that trophy as well, Andy? I mean, it would mean so much. There have been so many um, great players, uh, you know, just nominated for the award, and um, it's a huge honor, obviously. And um, But at the same time, there are so many great players up for it, um, including, you know, some of my teammates. So um, I think it's a great list of 15, and, you know, all of them, super deserving of honor so going getting to go last year uh to missouri was a really great experience for me um as one of the finalists just because i had i was a few weeks out of the surgery and um kind of at a you know a low point in terms of (laughs) my recovery um and to see you know the tremendous support that that community has for soccer really um lifted my spirits and also was a great again a motivator for me like yeah I want to be back here in a year so um it would be really cool if I could get there um at the same time would I'm just excited for all the players on the list and I'm excited to see who the final three are well and I know you're also excited about uh, this college cup I mean I'll paint the perfect scenario for you right so let's say you win the college cup you then take the Mac Herman trophy and then Jill calls (laughs) you again and then NWSL uh, you get drafted uh, by a team does that sound like a perfect scenario to you (laughs) that sounds pretty good obviously a lot of work to make all those things happen I know that they're not just gonna you know happen or fall into place um there are a lot of like if and a lot of combos there but yeah that would be that pretty pretty ideal all right andy sullivan on the mac herman trophy list and as she said more importantly trying to win a college cup down in orlando good luck against south carolina good luck this weekend thank you so much Thank you, Andy Sullivan. All right, we've talked high school soccer. We've talked college soccer, professional soccer, the Major League Soccer semifinals taking place yesterday and today leading up to the MLS Cup. And we're joined by 442 Scott French to talk Major League Soccer and so much more after this message. Want 15 extra hours each week? Team Snap can help give it to you. Their customers save tons of time every week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Linky. Man, we're covering it all today. High school soccer, college soccer. Now we're going to dabble a little bit into the Major League Soccer playoff scene and maybe even get some questions answered on the run for U.S. Soccer President. We'll do that with Scott French with 442, but he's been with Soccer America. He's been covering soccer forever, and I think I can label him now a legend as far as covering soccer in this country. Can I do that, Scott French? I think that's very kind. (laughs) All right. uh, Well, delighted to be reconnected with you. Scott and I uh, were fast pals during the 1994 U.S. World Cup 
run where Scott was pretty much at practice every day, and he's continued to follow soccer at the highest level. All right, Scott, uh, this will be released on Thursday. That means the Columbus-Toronto game will already be in the books. We'll see how smart you are. What's your take on what's going to happen there? Going with Toronto, I just think they're the best team in the league. Uh, the big question mark, of course, is how are uh, Altidore and Giovinco going to play after 24 days off? I think that they will come through just fine. Uh, Columbus has had a great run. I think Greg Berhalter is really one of the, the star coaches in this league, but this Toronto team, I, I just think they're a team of destiny. What about Columbus playing for their proverbial ability to stay, you know? I mean, in some sense, I mean, what's your take on that whole situation? You know, it's really sad for the Columbus fans, and, and I think that I think there's a lot of soccer fans around this country who are really rooting for the crew to win this year because of that. And and they've got a good team. And, and if they if it turns out they did knock off Toronto, what a great moment for them to have the, the championship at home. It's kind of a weird situation. I You know, I, I live in Southern California. We've had football teams coming in and out of L.A. all the time and moving. So I've seen teams moving from places and it's never a good thing for the fans in terms of the business i just don't know enough about the to really judge but it it does seem like uh, crew fans are getting a little bit of the shaft all right let's talk about the game that'll air tonight as this podcast released on thursday seattle houston looks like seattle sitting pretty right now you know that result in houston that really put them in a, into a comfortable place and, and and we've seen teams come back from from 02 deficits in the playoffs we saw san jose come back from an 04 deficit back in 2001 was it i think that it's going to be very difficult in seattle for the dynamo because i think they're going to have to be very aggressive and at the same time they've got to keep things very tight at the back and i think that's a very difficult combination to do when you're down 2-0 going into the playoffs so based on what you're telling me it'll be a rematch of last year's mls cup what does that mean well it means uh Probably another very cold night, in, uh, although it's an afternoon game this time. So, hey, uh, maybe a cold afternoon in uh, Toronto. Hey, I think it says a lot about the sound, especially the Sounders. I think Toronto was always destined to be here because uh, what the things that Greg Vanny and uh, Robin Fraser have done with that team and the way that they have approached the way that they play, the idea of a uh, collective reading of the game and a collective reaction is so different from what we've seen everywhere else. I, I think that the, they've really become an advanced team tactically. And then you take what they have and you add Vasquez to it. I mean, this is this is just one of the great teams that has ever been in this league. Seattle, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't so sure about them uh, going into this season, and, and certainly wasn't all that sure about them midway through. But they've just played so well uh, down the stretch, and and they've done the job. And you know, it's been nice to see what Clint Dempsey has been able to do after all that he went through. I think we're starting to see the best of, of Lodero again. You know, I, I think some people may have thought he was a little bit of a disappointment this year after last year, but I think we're really starting to see him. And one of my favorite players in this league is Christian Roldan, and I, I'm just really excited watching him grow. All right, you're sitting there in L.A. L.A.'s got a new team coming. Siggy Smith, meanwhile, back with the L.A. Galaxy. Just give us a quick snapshot of MLS's future in Los Angeles with those two teams. It's going to be really interesting because LAFC has kind of positioned itself as the anti-Galaxy, and there are a lot of people in L.A. who are not Galaxy fans, and they're all coming out of the woodwork. 
what's interesting is the coalition of, of fans that have become LAFC faithful. There certainly was the core group from Chivas USA fans, a lot of really good people who really cared about that team and have really become prominent among the LAFC supporters. But they've also they've drawn from all over Southern California, even out in the Inland Empire and down in Orange County. They've drawn people who haven't followed MLS before. They, there's a uh, One of their fan groups is based around following English soccer in Pasadena. The approach that they've taken in really relating to the fans and really kind of creating a family approach where everyone feels that they are part of the group and that they have access to the prominent people within the club. It's like nothing I've seen in American sport before, and I'm, and I'm sure it's happened somewhere. I just haven't seen it. I think it's going to be really exciting to have them in. I think, especially with Bob Bradley as coach, this is a team that's looking to win immediately. And uh, with the Galaxy having to do some rebuild, it's going to be very interesting to see who rules Los Angeles next year. All right, great answer. All of this... Uh sort of pseudo-excitement of the MLS Cup is still with a little bit of a hangover. The malaise of the U.S. team not making the World Cup. It's also tied to your role at 442. It was announced this week that they'll be laying off staff after the MLS Cup, and certainly that will affect you a little bit, I guess. And and then, of course, uh, you, you got to point to the U.S. soccer race for president, right? Also tied to the U.S. national team's failure to make the World Cup. Uh, but we'll start with uh, your current situation at 442. 442 USA is not closing its doors. It's just they've laid off the the, uh, the staff writers. The editor will remain, and there will be freelancers. And I have already told them that I, I am definitely open to freelancing for them. But after MLS Cup is, is over, uh, we're all uh, no longer employed there. It, it has because there is so many things that are tied to the U.S. being in the World Cup, and, and that involves sponsors and involves television and it involves players and fans as well. I mean, everyone is affected by this. In terms of business, what hurts is that revenues aims that are based upon the, the U.S. being in the World Cup and building off of that and, and the excitement around that and the added traffic, uh, you know, with, with us being a website, however you measure your business, the added uh, attention to it that the World Cup brings, all of that is gone. In a country like this where... You know, as much as we want to say we have a soccer culture now and, and this is a really strong soccer culture, it's still in its infancy. And is, especially within the media, it is not a sport that is covered in the way that we would want it to be covered, especially within mainstream media, even in soccer media. We're still in our infancy. And a thing like this really hurts us. Whereas I, I in Italy... Soccer journalists aren't going to lose their jobs because it's Italy. I mean, yeah, they're upset that they that they aren't in the World Cup, but they're not going to stop following soccer at uh, at a frenzied pace. We're not at that point yet. So yeah, it's sad and uh, and it's something that never should have happened. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, it won't happen again. All right. So with that, you are working on a piece covering all of the candidates, and I don't know how many there are now. You can get us up to date on those folks running for president of U.S. Soccer. Some big time, big time names among the list. There are. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of my series of conversations with the candidates. I've talked to five so far, trying to set up Paul Calajuri and Carlos Codero uh, today. Try to get those. Uh, all scheduled before we're done. We want to get uh, all seven done before uh, before this trip is over, I guess. And there are, you know, especially with uh, with uh, Eric Winalda, Paul Caligiuri, you know, both of them 
national team legends and Kyle Martino, uh, who was a, a very good pro who, who, who won caps with the national team and is one of the, one of the smartest guys in American soccer. You know, those are three big names from the playing side. And then you've got candidates that aren't perhaps as well known, many of whom are former players themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cordero, certainly his position within the Federation and as, as kind of Sunil's right-hand man, he's a real interesting prospect. Steve Gans, who is a Boston lawyer who, is, who I was very impressed with when I spoke with him. Paul Lapointe, who has played soccer and been involved in soccer and is a businessman also in, the, in New England, who is a very serious candidate and, and has a, a lot of good ideas, I think. And uh, Mike Winograd, who is a uh, lawyer in New York, very sharp. And, you know, th- this is the thing that I did. The five that I've come away with, I've been impressed by all five. All five are very serious. Uh, they don't necessarily see eye to eye, but they all have strong arguments for what they want to do. I think it's going to be a good race, but I, I'm interested to see how it plays out among the three players, especially. I think Winalda is a serious candidate all the way to the finish, and I want to see if Marquino and, and Caligiuri uh, can be that as well. And what do you think Sunil Galati's chance are of re-election if he does say he wants to be re-elected? This is going to be tough for him. Uh, he certainly is a political master, and this is going to be a political situation. He will leverage everything he has to get the vote. What I think he should be concerned is with within the amateur and uh, and youth faction. I get the sense there's not a lot of support for him there, and I think that will be his undoing. Finally, a little movement with the NWSL. You've got the Kansas team essentially moving to Salt Lake City, but uh, despite that move, that league looks pretty strong now going into year five. It does, but it also is a league that is, you know, because there's also there's been questions about the Boston franchise. You know, I, I think it's a league where the strongest clubs are really solid and the weakest clubs are very much a concern. And I think that the league is is kind of at that point where they need to they need to take the next step forward. It, it's so important that this league succeed, uh, as it was for the previous two, which did not. Uh, and what it means for women's soccer in this country and the opportunity for women to play the game, not not just for the national team, but just for the good of, of the women's game as a whole. I would like to see the businesses of a few of the teams improve, and I'd like to see the league as a whole become a little... I, I'd, I'd like to see it get to the place that MLS started getting to uh, round about uh, right after Beckham came and, and in those five years that followed. That's what I would like to see next for NWSL. I think they can do it, but let's see it get done. And the next coach of the U.S. men's national team, if you could name two or three names that uh, one of them will be in there, can you do it, Scott French? One of those names I would list would be TBA. I don't anticipate a hire being made until next summer. And I think that coming out of the World Cup, we're going to have some candidates that we wouldn't have otherwise. Beyond that, uh, Tab Ramos. Peter okay, Scott French, quick and easy. Always a pleasure ke- connecting with you. It can be years and uh, call you, and we're right back together again, Scott. Thanks uh, for all you do for soccer in this country. Well, it's always great talking to you, Dean. I mean, you're one of my buds from way back. You're one of the best. Well done, Scott French, and well done all of our guests today. I want to thank Jim Wanley, the top man for the St. Benedict's Prep High School team, as well as David Wolf, the top man for the Houston High School girls soccer team in Germantown, Tennessee. They They are number one in the country, according to USA Today, United Soccer Coaches High School Polls. Congratulations to both Rob Kehoe, the Director of College Programs for the United Soccer Coaches, Paul Ratcliffe, the head
head coach of the Stanford Cardinal women's soccer team and his star midfielder Andy Sullivan once again on the Mac Herman Trophy semi-finalist list and finally Scott French. I want to thank Kurt Austin, Ashley Goodrich and the entire gang at the United Soccer Coaches. We'll see you next week and we expect to talk to a lot of champions. Seven of them will be crowned this weekend. We'll see if we can get to all of them next week right here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more.